Imagine that you work for a company that's working on a big project. The company has millions of employees working in groups of four. When each group member shares the work evenly, the project progresses nicely. Now imagine that each of these groups has one member who isn't quite carrying the load. Everyone else takes on more work and it's harder to get things done, and eventually productivity slows down. Your blood is like this company, working towards getting oxygen to your body tissue. Hemoglobin, like the group of four workers, has four heme molecules that carry oxygen. Methemoglobinemia is a condition where one of the heme molecules doesn't work as well, causing oxygen delivery to become less efficient, leading to tissue hypoxia. Today, our patient has met hemoglobinemia, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Blue Blood, What to Do When Met Hemoglobinemia is the Suspect. Time for our minute physiology. First, we need to quickly review what we know about hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is a protein found in our red blood cells and is made up of four units of globin, which each have a heme molecule containing iron. In hemoglobin, this iron is usually in its reduced or ferrous state. Thinking back to chemistry class, that's Fe2+. Fe2 easily binds to oxygen molecules in the lungs and just as easily lets it go to oxygenate cells in the body. Met hemoglobin is a type of hemoglobin with one of the four heme groups containing an iron molecule in an oxidized or ferric state, that is, Fe3+. Iron in its ferric or Fe3 plus state does not bind to oxygen. It also causes the remaining three Fe2 plus or ferrous heme within the tetramer to hold onto oxygen more tightly. Thus, in high enough levels, met hemoglobin causes a left shift of the hemoglobin oxygen dissociation curve and decreases oxygen delivery to body tissues. Normally, we always have some met hemoglobin floating in our blood system as a result of endogenous oxidative processes. These include reactions with free radicals and compounds like hydrogen peroxide, nitric oxide, and hydroxyl radicals. Our body does its best to make sure that levels remain low, usually less than 1%, through an enzyme called cytochrome B5 reductase, CYB5R. CYB5R converts or reduces the Fe3 in methemoglobin to Fe2, converting it back to hemoglobin. Methemoglobinemia occurs either when CYB5R is not working properly or when there is too much methemoglobin produced for CYB5R to handle, leading to increased levels of methemoglobin. Causes of methemoglobinemia can be divided into congenital and acquired causes. Congenital conditions that lead to methemoglobinemia are uncommon and include CYB5R deficiency and hemoglobin M disease. Acquired methemoglobinemia is usually induced by a variety of drugs and poisonous ingestions. Dapsone is a common medication implicated with methemoglobinemia, especially in individuals with G6PD deficiency. Other drugs implicated with methemoglobinemia include antimalarials like chloroquine and primaquine, topical anesthetics used for endoscopic procedures like benzocaine spray, and inhaled nitric oxide. Chemical substances such as aniline dyes, antifreeze, hydrogen peroxide, nitrates and nitrites, and benzene derivatives can also precipitate methemoglobinemia. Individuals with congenital methemoglobinemia are at risk to have a superimposed acquired methemoglobinemia.
All right, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. As we will see, patients with methemoglobinemia can present with a wide range of symptoms, ranging from mild to severe. Your first step will be to assess whether your patient is stable or not. Are their ABCs stable? Are they showing any worrisome neurological signs? If the patient is stable, on history you should ask about a prior personal or family history for methemoglobinemia, positive genetic testing for a methemoglobinemia-related gene, or known exposure to a methemoglobinemia-inducing substance. Congenital methemoglobinemia commonly presents in infants or children who have cyanosis but are otherwise well. Do note that infants can present with acquired methemoglobinemia in settings where the water supply is contaminated with nitrates, as infants under 6 months of age have relatively lower levels of Cib5R. Conversely, adults with congenital methemoglobinemia can have a superimposed acquired methemoglobinemia in the setting of a toxic exposure. Acquired methemoglobinemia typically presents with cyanosis alongside symptoms of hypoxia. The severity of symptoms correlates with the levels of methemoglobin. Those with methemoglobin levels between 3 to 20% have clinically detectable cyanosis and may remain asymptomatic unless there is a pre-existing condition. Those with levels between 20 to 50% have mild to moderate symptoms of hypoxemia, such as dyspnea, headache, lightheadedness, fatigue, irritability, and lethargy. Those with levels between 50 to 70% have severe symptoms and may present with shock, severe respiratory depression, seizures, and coma. Levels above 70% are considered fatal. Assessing the vital signs, routine pulse oximetry might show an oxygen saturation of approximately 85% with a failure to improve with supplemental oxygen. This is because routine pulse oximetry is unable to distinguish between methemoglobin and normal oxy and deoxyhemoglobin. Severe methemoglobinemia may also present with tachycardia, hypotension, and respiratory depression. Cyanosis does not generally occur with an oxygen saturation in the 80s and should be another clue pointing you to methemoglobinemia. Moreover, cyanosis does not improve with supplemental oxygen because it is a problem with the hemoglobin rather than the supply of oxygen. On physical exam, cyanosis characterized by blue or gray-colored skin, lips, and nail beds is generally observable. Cyanosis reflects a total methemoglobin level above 15 grams per liter. You should also monitor for signs of severe hypoxemia, including altered level of consciousness and observable dyspnea. Note that while methemoglobinemia is our topic of focus, remember that we also need to investigate for other pulmonary, cardiac, vascular, and hematologic disorders that can contribute to cyanosis and hypoxemia. Another clue you might find at the bedside for methemoglobinemia is dark blood, classically described as chocolate-colored, when arterial or venous blood is drawn. Now on to the workup. When you suspect the diagnosis of methemoglobinemia, the goal of investigations would be detecting methemoglobin and determining the need for treatment. Depending on the patient's presentation, remember to also do the appropriate workup to assess for other contributors to your patient's symptoms. For methemoglobinemia specifically, you will want to order an arterial blood gas, or ABG, to measure the methemoglobin levels in the blood. A methemoglobin level of greater than 5% is diagnostic of methemoglobinemia. Levels greater than 30% are considered life-threatening and require urgent management. The ABGs might also show a normal or elevated PaO2 despite hypoxemia on pulse oximetry. This is sometimes known as a PaO2 saturation gap, which is indicative of a hemoglobinopathy. A complete blood count should generally show a normal hemoglobin level. 
Polycythemia is seen in individuals with congenital met hemoglobinemia secondary to compensatory erythrocytosis. If possible, testing for G6PD deficiency should be pursued to help guide management. However, the results of these tests may not be available in the acute setting. Okay, time to discuss treatment. Acute toxic methemoglobinemia with methemoglobin levels above 30% is a medical emergency. Treatment should include prompt removal of the offending drug or medication. Supportive management for respiratory failure and or hemodynamic instability should be initiated as needed. Anti-seizure medications should be initiated as needed for patients presenting with seizures. Patients with a methemoglobin level above 30% or those who are symptomatic and have a met hemoglobin level between 20 to 30%, are treated with intravenous methylene blue. Methylene blue works by reducing the iron molecule in the met hemoglobin from a ferric Fe3+, to ferrous Fe2+, state, thereby converting it to hemoglobin. Methylene blue should be used with caution in patients with G6PD deficiency, as this can induce hemolysis. Methylene blue should also be administered with caution in patients taking a serotonergic medication, such as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs, as it can precipitate serotonin syndrome. A repeat ABG should be done one hour after the initial dose if there is persistent cyanosis to reassess met hemoglobin levels. Patients who fail to respond to an initial dose of methylene blue may require repeat dosing or should prompt you to think about the possibility of G6PD deficiency. ABGs should not be repeated earlier as the methylene blue will interfere with the detection of met hemoglobin. Ascorbic acid, or vitamin C, also has properties that can help reduce met hemoglobin but acts more slowly than methylene blue. Vitamin C can be helpful in settings where methylene blue is contraindicated, such as in patients with a history of G6PD deficiency or in those taking serotonergic antidepressants, as methylene blue can precipitate hemolysis and serotonin syndrome in these individuals respectively, as we mentioned earlier. Cimetidine may be helpful in dapsone-induced met hemoglobinemia. However, cimetidine works slowly and is not helpful in the acute setting. Exchange transfusion or hyperbaric oxygen may also be considered for patients failing to respond to all other therapies. For congenital met hemoglobinemia, cyanosis is of cosmetic significance but is treated to reduce distress. Oral methylene blue and vitamin C are used in individuals with Sib5R deficiency. Riboflavin has also been reported as a treatment for congenital met hemoglobinemia. Patients should be counseled on avoiding oxidant substances that can precipitate another episode of met hemoglobinemia. First-degree relatives of individuals with congenital met hemoglobinemia should be advised to pursue genetic testing and or to avoid oxidant substances that may precipitate met hemoglobinemia. Okay, time for a medicine minute. Did you know Martin Fugate, along with four out of his seven children, all had blue skin, a result of a recessive form of a congenital hemoglobinemia, likely a deficiency in Sib5R. They thus became known as the Blue Fugates when they lived in the mid-1800s in a small settlement called Troublesome Creek, Kentucky. Their family members were eventually treated with methylene blue in the 1960s by a hematologist named Madison Cowie III. The last known descendant of the Fugates who was born with congenital met hemoglobinemia was Benjamin Stacy. He was born in the 1970s and exhibited only blue tinges on his lips and fingertips when he was cold or agitated. Alright, that's all for today. 
thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Blue Blood, What to Do When Met Hemoglobinemia as a Suspect. This episode is written by Dr. Lorenzo Madrazo, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Weil Hadara, critical care, and Dr. Andrew Appleton, general internal medicine. This episode was recorded by Leah Karianopoulos and produced by Nafis Hussain. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. Music production by Lakshmi Santhamoan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out www.theinternetwork.com for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.